things you've been doing, which was one of the first things that caught my my attention, really, is reversing senescence, right? The, so could you talk about that? Because we did talk to Dr. Kirkland, and and he said it's like it's irreversible. Or he, he, it's a well, always you know, always remember irreversible. You know, it, always always plug in the under the phrase the mental phrase under normal conditions. Okay. okay, you know, it's it, it's impossible for men to fly unpowered except with a hang glider. So um, what happened? The, so senescence classically is considered to be irreversible, and there are very good reasons for that. All right. However, the, in the lab where it has been possible to reverse it in individual cells by microinjection, for example. Okay. Um, now, our entry into this was really quite interesting because a colleague, very talented lady, Lorne Harries at um, Exeter, who I would strongly recommend you talk to if you haven't already, um, basically collared me after a committee meeting um, and was interested in some compounds that we had developed. Um, a student of mine had been interested in resveratrol um, and he was coming to the end of, of his work. So I said, yes, you know, by all means, have a little play around with it. We, we got some interesting initial results. Um, and another student who was a chemist thought that it would be sensible to develop, as his PhD, a new synthetic route for these compounds. And which, which is what he did with, um, with help from my long-standing collaborator, Lizzie Osler, who was down there. Um, and we made a whole bunch of these compounds, about 50 of them. They're very easy to make. You can do it in a couple of days. Um, and most of them were new. And so the, the advantage of this was, and you will see this also with compounds like resveratrol, as most of your listeners I think will probably know is a natural product so is metformin so is the active compound in St John's where they all come from plants pretty much now you know the interesting question to speculate on is why are plants making these and the short answer is not for your benefit okay plants can't run away there is an old bomb mo which is you're an evolutionary biologist if you can look at a field of wheat from the wheat's point of view the wheat does not want you to eat it Okay. And plants not being mobile incur very high fitness costs, making all these little small molecules. You know, plants don't make hallucinogenics because they want you to talk to God. They make hallucinogenics so that you will stagger around talking to God and hopefully something else will eat you and then you'll stop munching on the leaves. All right. And the point of this kind of roundabout story is natural products interact with lots of pathways because don't forget what i'm trying i am a plant and what i'm trying to do is mess you up um and the more pathways i can mess up the better i am at doing that and so unpicking mechanisms of action with compounds like metformin or resveratrol can be quite tricky because they're doing they've got their fingers in half a dozen and what was fun with our compounds was that we had compounds that only had a finger in one pie at a time. And the reason Lorna was interested is she had come across, and she was interested 
in how cells process RNA. Because this is one of the biggest changes you see in real mammals with aging. You see changes in what's known as RNA splicing and processing. I suspect you wouldn't be far wrong from saying that that could turn out to be another hallmark of aging if you insisted on using the terminology. All right. And so she knew she had come across a report that showed that resveratrol would mess around with RNA splicing patterns. And so we knew, she knew we were doing this, so she took different types of senescent cells and we put a series of these compounds on them because we thought something would happen. I'll be honest, I was begging for, I was hoping for a senolytic. I was sitting there thinking, this will be nice, you know, we'll have a nice, easy senolytic paper and I should become rich and famous. Okay, as always happens with me, nature got in the way and the results were interesting. In seeing cells dying, we saw senescent cells starting to divide again. And they would remain division competent as long as we kept the compound on. And when we took it away, they would go back to sleep. And need, needless to say, we had quite a, um, a series of frank bordering on direct conversations with reviewers about this. Um, but we got it published and it's, pretty ro it's a pretty robust finding. How I think it's working is this, and Lorna might give you a different story on this, but this is my kind of much more simplified take. Lorna's interest is RNA splicing, so hers will be more profoundly in that direction. But there are hundreds and hundreds of factors that influence RNA splicing. And cells being fairly parsimonious, the same protein is often used for multiple different things. So some of these factors that regulate RNA splicing also help repair telomeres. And so I think that what we've been doing is when we have been adding our resverologs, as we call them, we have in fact been lengthening telomeres back up a little bit. We've shown that happens. And then the cells are starting to grow again. And when we take the resverologs away, of course, you lose the splicing factors, which means you lose the capacity to fix telomeres, which means the cells then become senescent again. And I think this is a useful area therapeutically because there are situations in which you wouldn't want to get rid of senescent cells, I think, particularly. You know, the idea of a senolytic is your tissue is full of senescent cells. I'll get rid of them and you'll make some more new cells. And everything will be fine. Let's imagine a tissue where you can't make any new cells. Uh, I can think of two. One of them would be the intravertebral disc. And there is good evidence that disc degeneration is caused by the accumulation of senescent cells. And as all of us of a certain age know, there is nothing funny about back pain. Um, and so one of my concern, you know, we should be targeting disc degeneration. It makes people's lives really miserable. It's profoundly economically um, non-viable. And if you have a degenerate disc, you know, the negative effect on GDP is the least of your worries. But 
What would concern me personally about using Sanolytics in that context is the idea that, okay, that disc is degenerate, full of senescent cells. I'll kill all the senescent cells. I now have a disc that is acellular, has no cells in it. What I would want to do is stop those cells misbehaving and turn them back into cells that will do their job, and maybe that will repair the disc. I don't know. The other, there's a similar analogy with the endothelial layer of your cornea for, for other reasons, but I think that this would be a useful extra string to our therapeutic bow where we can tailor therapies to what's going wrong with the particular tissue. And I think that that is, you know, I, I think that that is something that those of us who've been in the business for a while need to be thinking about. Because, I mean, you know, there is a lot of excitement at the moment around the first sort of senolytic trials and things like this. I think that I kind of lose count. I think there are 30 ongoing senolytic trials at the moment. And that's great. One of the things that we all know, including the guys who are doing the trials, is that most trials fail. Okay. Now, the trials that work win very big, but it's high risk, high reward. And the best way to illustrate that is something I often drop into lectures. You know, the human race only has about 1,200 medicines. That's it. That's all the licensed compounds we've got. And that includes things like aspirin and morphine. I think it's 1,500 if you include the ones that we've dropped out of routine use. But, you know, there's loads. If you go into a pharmacist, there's hundreds and hundreds of different formulations. But it's only going to be that under 2,000 compounds. So, that you know, that, that's why I say the clinical trial stuff is high risk. And the more things we can push down those routes, the better, I think. So have you tried this on different types of senescent cell? Uh, We've, we have. We're, it's something we're trying to push forward as fast as we can at the moment. But we run into the usual, um, you know, we, we run into the usual problems that members of the scientific community are interested in, uh, encounter, which is everybody's fascinated by the results and noticeably less fascinated by footing the bill for the results. You know, so it, it comes down to money. And I don't think that anybody really realizes quite how little money goes into aging research. 